This Seattle Medium podcast is sponsored by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. A new report highlights the urge urgent need for action when it comes to the safety of black women in America. And with me to talk this issue is Stacey Brown, Senior National Correspondent for the NMPA. Good morning, Stacey. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm well and yourself? I'm doing good. <laughs> That's good. Stacey, a report published in the Lancet Medical Journal shows a shocking disparity, which is unfortunately not surprising to many, between the murder rates of black and white women in America and certainly, you know, this is something that should be at the top of everybody's attention. Yeah, without question, it should be at the top of everyone's agenda. We, you know, we, we always enjoy, or not necessarily enjoy, but we always like to quote um, Malcolm X, who said the most disrespected, uh, the most unprotected, uh, and so on and so on, um, uh, person in the world is a black woman. And this report really echoes what Malcolm X had talked about. Look, um, you have black women uh, age 25 to 44 across 30 states that they analyzed, right? And the homicide rate was 11.6 per 100,000 and compared to white women, which was three per 100,000. So that inequity uh, is it's been unchanged, according to reports, since 1999. So nothing has been done despite this going on. Right. And, you know, Stacey, when you look at it, the severity, they increased in 10 states between 1999 and 2003 and 2019 and 208 um, that did not change. Um, but it's like you really have to look at this issue from a, a standpoint of, you know, what's really happening to our black women and then, you know, why are, and why are we not talking about it, or why is nobody talking right. about it? Well, it, it, and you're right. It, it, first of all, it's a great question. Why, why aren't we really talking about this issue? Uh, it, again, I think it just goes back um, to, to Malcolm X. Uh, his, his quote still stands true all these years later, 50, 60 years later, you know, about the most disrespected and, and unprotected is the black woman. And a lot of that, to me, Chris, through my eyes, through my lens, falls on black men. We as black men have to do a much better job um, being that protector, being that, that supporter of, of black women who hold us down in so many different ways. And I, I think the black press, we have to be more uh, engaged on this issue um, and real because mainstream media is not going to. Uh, if they're not going to bring this to our attention on, on a consistent basis. 
we have to um, beat this into the ground. We have to we have to continue to talk about this because no one else will. Right. And Stacey, I was looking at information and we're talking about 45% of black women experience stalking uh, phys- and physical and sexual violence in their lifetime. With an estimated 51% of black female adult homicides related to an intimate partner violence. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when we're talking about these things um, and also as we as friends and families, you know, we all, you know, I shouldn't say we all, but most people probably who are around certain people will see warning signs or things that should raise an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, don't do anything or don't say anything or sometimes even, you know, close a blind eye to it. And then when something happens and they're like, oh, you know, I wish I would have type of a situation. Right. Yeah, um, yep. you're right. We, we, we tend to not only um, at times turn a blind eye to it, but make excuses. Oh, you know, this person was, was stressed out or, um, or this person um, just had a bad day. Or, I mean, we tend to make excuses where excuses should not uh, be made, it's particularly when you talk about the physical um, violence that, that, that goes on with intimate partners, um, this, this intimate partner violence. Um, you know, that old saying has is, is, is been proven time and again. If, if he or she hits you once, they're going to do it again. It's, you know, there's no, um, you know, well, it was just the one time. It's never just the one time. It's, it's, that one time is a sign that that individual is out of control, needs some sort of uh, serious help, counseling, um, if you will, or, or some sort of intervention, and you need to get out of that situation because if you allow that individual, and most of the time it's men against women, if you allow that situation to continue, um, that one hit is going to turn into something uh, a lot worse. More often than not, it does. We listen. We've seen it in high-profile cases. We 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 followed along um, last year as um, the actress. Uh, gosh, why is her Kiki Palmer? We we followed along in that situation, and we learned that based on her, um, you know, her 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 account is that this guy began hitting her at the beginning of the relationship. A couple of years later, she finally gets out of it. Uh, you know, uh, one child later, and, and finally gets out of the relationship. But um, the damage had been, you know, it it surmounted, and and he had been. It turns out, according to her, he's been beating her for a long time, and she showed video of him attacking her. Right. And, you know, Stacey, these are, you know, when we talk about these deaths, these homicides, you know, you know, these are violent um, deaths for people. And I want to also talk about the aspects that relate to, this, um, you know, these homicides that are related to the use of firearms as well, because that's something... Yeah that's also a concern as well. It's a big concern um, because more and more, so, so more and more um, black folks and uh, black women too, for that matter, are starting to arm themselves. Um, but we have a nation now in which there are, it will, will it, where it encourages um, the carrying of firearms. We got, states that are now eliminating even um, having to get a permit um, to carry a firearm. So um, we saw what happened at the, at the Kansas City Chiefs um, Super Bowl parade. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's so interesting because 
That happened just a couple of days ago. And tomorrow in Kansas City, not far from where the incident took place, they're having a, this huge gun show. Um, so we have a gun-crazy um, society, and the NRA, of course, is, is the one that is benefiting the most, and everyone else is losing because gun violence is so huge in this country. Kids are being killed. Adults are being killed. Elderly people are being killed. And yet all we get from lawmakers and, and politicians is uh, thoughts and prayers. So it's a big, this this gun violence situation. You can only expect it to get worse, Chris, really. Right. And speaking of getting worse, Stacey, you know, I was also, you know, looking at the report and was talking about black women residing in the Midwest and Northeast were more likely to be killed with a firearm than black women residing in any other area of the country. You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking about some heavy you know, some pretty heavily populated areas in some of these um, in the Midwest and in Northeast. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, alarming that, you know, you would see that many more black women getting killed by firearms in those areas in other parts of the country. Well, yeah. And so there you have it, too. In, in these areas where, like you said, <laughs> these are heavily populated areas, which shows you, which you know, which tends to, to um, tell you that, Hey, um, people are emboldened. They're more bold now than ever before, despite, Chris, despite the prevalence of cam- there's cameras everywhere. Cameras are capturing everything. Mm-hmm. But people are more bold and they're more gun happy than we've ever seen in this nation. So th- that, to me, um, signifies uh, that people just it- it's it's happening in these areas where you wouldn't think it would happen because people no longer feel like they're prohibited. Right. And Stacey, this, this all leads to a, a much larger conversation, in my opinion, about missing women in America as well. Because, you know, and I know that the number of black women missing in America is something that does not get much media attention, uh, especially when it comes to mainstream media. And the same thing we talked about this earlier can be said for the homicide rates. But still, I mean, you've got uh, missing women and that... Um, that are alarming numbers that are growing uh, in the country. And you also have, you know, women who are also being, um, you know, homicide victims as well. And I think the two go hand in hand. And I don't think that we can really have a conversation about one without having a conversation about the other. No, you, you absolutely can't. Um, and and you're, you're right. We, we, we've seen um, and we've reported on this uh, a number of times, the, the increase in missing black females. And then also now you have, the, the stark increase in, in the gun violence as we're talking about and the homicide uh, of, of black women. So it, it's, it's an issue that, that is intertwined. You, you can't really talk about one without the other. And if you do, you're really missing a, a large chunk of, of the discussion. So when you have, um, you know, black women being murdered six times more often on average, than their white peers, um, and then you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of missing black females. There's something there that that is connecting there. Right. You know, Stacy, I'd also, and I don't want to close the door on this conversation too quickly, but I'd also be remiss because um, you also had another story. Um, that I think that's probably good for us, at least touch on this morning, um, which talks about the Obesity Bill of Rights, and it talks about mm-hmm. the surging obesity rates 
um, nationwide. Um, and I want to be able to, to kind of touch on that briefly before we um, get off here, because I think that's, you know, that's also an issue of concern across the country, uh, especially as it relates, I mean, just across the board with obesity. I mean, there's so many different health issues that are getting related to that. And people are looking at people these days um, who are obese. And because there are so many people, it seems that that are obese, um, that people see it as something where they're, it, it's normal these days. I mean, you have to be, you know, very big yeah. for somebody to continue to be obese these days, just based upon the number of people who are obese. But obesity right. is a serious issue um, in, in this country, um, and it's impacting, um, you know, people as early as, you know, four, five, eight, seven, eight years old, and on in, into their adulthoods as well. Well, it is, and, and here's the other part of that, and, and as mentioned in the article as well, that right now only 30 million, and this is, I think, is so important, only 30 million out of an estimated 108 million adults who live with obesity have been diagnosed with obesity, and just 2% of those eligible for anti-obesity medications have received treatment. And, and we see these drugs, um, Chris, that, that their celebrities and others are taking to lose weight. And these are individuals, many of them are individuals who um, are simply um, doing it to, you know, avoid doing it the, the, the hard way, the exercise route and, and things of that nature. Whereas many of these um, people who are diagnosed or, or have not been diagnosed with obesity but are obese, they're the ones who really need it. And the part of the problem, something else you can't talk about um, without mentioning, is the cost of these drugs, um. right? And, and for folks with obesity who might not be able to afford those drugs, that's the problem. Um, obesity, some people will think that, well, it's the person's fault that deal. And it's not necessarily the case. It's not because somebody's sitting there eating all day and not doing there are some who have that inherent gene that they really have to watch that something that can easily get out of control. And so we have a problem in this country with um, pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical companies um, profiting to no end uh, to, the, to the point where people die without getting the proper medication because they can't afford it. Right. And, and that's the thing. Yeah, and, and Stacey, I was, you know, in that article, it also said that, you know, the there are consequences of untreated obesity, which include the worsening outcomes for over 230 obesity-related chronic diseases. I mean, first of all, I I, I didn't even know there were over 230 obesity-related <laughs> chronic diseases. But when you see that, then you're like, the the odds are against you, you know, and then it also talks about there was approximately 400,000 premature deaths annually related to obesity. But I, mm -hmm. that's, that was, that was very um, eye opening to me with the number of obesity related chronic diseases that are there and how they can worsen with untreated, uh, untreated um, obesity. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, the, the, the approximately uh, 400,000 premature deaths a year, um, which costs, and so that cost, right? There's a cost there. They said it, it, they estimated that it costs about $1.72 trillion in direct and indirect 
uh, cost to the U.S. economy, which you would think, okay, somebody would do something about that. But again, not a whole lot of somebodies are doing something about it. And I really um, appreciated what Representative uh, Gwen Moore, uh, the Democrat out of Wisconsin, said. Um, She said obesity is a chronic condition, not a personal or moral failing. We need to ensure our health care system treats it as a disease so that Americans with obesity can access a holistic, high-quality care that meets the full spectrum of their needs. So um, that is really, that statement right there by Representative uh, Gwen Moore is something that all need to uh, adopt in their thinking as well, particularly um, those who can make a change, um, and including the pharmaceutical companies. Right. And and within that, Stacey, I mean, they are calling on an obesity bill of rights um, that establishes some fundamental rights, which, you know, you think that these would be some basic things, but it also speaks to, you know, our medical system and how it's designed and how it does things, because they're wanting to make sure that people are able to undergo, um, you know, screenings for obesity, diagnosis, counseling, um, and treatment according to medical guidelines, you know, and you would think these are things that happen that would happen naturally um, if you're able to go to the doctor on a consistent basis. So, But these are things happening whether or not you have health insurance or not. Yeah, well, I, well, it's, it's true. And, and so you have the, as you said, the, the obesity bill of rights. So what is the o- obesity um, bill of rights? There, you know, you, for those who are really interested, um, it, it's the National Consumers uh, League and National Council on Aging, they work with health leaders and obesity specialists to establish a set of rights so people with obesity will be screened, diagnosed, and counseled and effectively treated for their overweight and obesity based on medical treatment guidelines. And they can go to write uh, R-I-G-H-T-2, the number two, obesitycare.org to learn a whole lot more about the obesity um, bill of rights because there's a lot of things in there that I think, um, as you have done, pulled out some extremely great uh, points. I mean, just a a couple real quick, uh, Chris, uh, the right to accurate, clear, trusted, and accessible information on obesity as a treatable chronic disease, the right to respect by all members of the integrated care team when screening, counseling, and providing treatment. I mean, it goes on and on. There's there's a number of uh, quote unquote bill of rights or rights in this uh, the obesity bill of rights um, campaign. So, I just encourage people to really look at that. I mean, sometimes we might be a little embarrassed if we feel like we're a little overweight or a lot overweight, or you know, sometimes folks who are not overweight feel they are overweight. So, for everyone, they should look at this. Right. Well, Stacey, I, I know we talked about quite a few things in a short period of time. I really want to thank you for joining us on today's show um, and, and bringing, you know, both of these issues to the forefront of attention uh, of our community all across the country. Yeah, well, Chris, I appreciate you tackling these issues, not only on your uh, program, but certainly in that great, great newspaper that you published. Uh, we re- really appreciate the Seattle Medium. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Have a great weekend, my friend.